Hi, you're listening to Looted. Welcome to the first episode, Gold Digger. I'm Zoe Contis, and I'm an archaeologist. My business is to learn about the ancient artifacts of the Mediterranean, and as a professor, to share what I've learned. But there's a much more lucrative business in artifacts, looting them. And when they're looted, we really can't learn a whole lot about them in their original context. Imagine this. You walk into a dimly lit underground chamber. As your eyes adjust to the darkness, you see an amazing array of metal goods. Weapons and armor of bronze and iron, but also silver drinking vessels, and a wreath made up of sparkling gold leaves. You are in a tomb and have stepped back into the 4th century BC in Greece. Who were the people buried there? What did they value? What kind of technology did they use? How were their lives like or unlike ours? These are some of the fascinating questions that may arise from this experience. Now, imagine you're seeing a similar gold wreath in a glass case in a U.S. museum. It has been looted, so all the label says is funerary wreath, Greece. What does that mean to you? What can you, or an archaeologist for that matter, learn about the person with whom this wreath was buried? Or the other objects that were buried with it? When an artifact is removed from its original context without careful scientific excavation, we lose this valuable information. Tomb robbers, as in the situation I've just described, rob not only precious items, but the precious information which gives us clues to our common human history. Over a series of 12 episodes, I'll tell the stories of some of these artifacts and their journeys through the illicit trade in antiquities. On today's show, our story includes that ancient gold wreath I mentioned, imposters pretending to represent Swiss collectors, Swiss dealers, a world-class museum, the Greek police, the Italian police, U.S. journalists, Greek journalists, a Greek farmer, and a watermelon. But first, a brief introduction to the situation. It may come as no surprise to you that this trade is alive and thriving. Groups such as ISIS participate in what may be one of the most prevalent illicit trades globally, right up there with drugs and guns and often in combination with one or both of these. Estimates of the trade's yearly revenue are reported at $1 to $6 billion, so it's not small potatoes. Even outside of war-torn areas, looting is occurring regularly and with increasing frequency as the market becomes more sophisticated through technology. Of course, there are some laws regarding these things. Modern international laws, such as the 1954 Hague Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict, clearly prohibit destructive acts in war. And laws in general concerning illegal digging and illegal export of antiquities all over the Mediterranean have existed since the early 20th century. And since 1970, as mandated by UNESCO, anything that comes out of the ground must stay in that country. Regardless, even countries with long-developed laws and funds for protection, and even special art police forces, such as Italy and Greece, deal with this problem continuously. Looting usually begins with local thieves, familiar with the territory, who do the actual digging up of the artifacts, and who, for a tiny fraction of what the objects will eventually bring on the market, sell to more organized criminal groups of looters who have international connections with dealers. Objects are smuggled across international borders and laundered, meaning they go from being 
illegal to legal. And that's in quotes, uh, in case you can't hear them in my voice. Export laws in one country may not be the same as the import laws in another, rendering a stolen object technically legal for sale. Then the artifacts are given fake pedigrees. A dealer can claim that an object came from an anonymous Swiss collection, for instance, that never existed, and thereby smoothing its way into the open legal antiquities market. The dealers provide artifacts to auction houses, collectors, and museums, and every time an object is sold, it adds to its pedigree. There have even been cases when dealers have put objects up for auction, thereby gaining the object an official auction number, and then bought them back themselves, resulting in an auction history which validates what is likely to be an illicitly gained artifact. In this way, and others of course, fakes can also enter the market. And these further pollute our understanding of the ancient world. Okay, I could go on and on, but for now, that's the basic rundown. And I'm here to let you know that this is going on, and that if you are listening in the U.S., that we are one of the major market countries for these looted objects. Although many of the objects that I'll be telling you about are objects that have been written about publicly, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so I hope you'll think twice about bidding on that Roman coin you saw on eBay, for instance, or that you'll wonder why the labels in museums don't tell you where an object actually came from. And you'll encourage our lawmakers to create better legislation so that we can do our part to protect the world's cultural heritage. All right, let me set the scene for our story today. The year is 1997, and while that may seem like ancient history already to some listeners, today we're going all the way back to the 4th century BC, approximately 2,400 years ago. But we're going to work backwards to see how this mystery unfolds. The story begins in Los Angeles, California. One of the jewels in the crown, and that pun is intended, of the publication Masterpieces of the J. Paul Getty Museum is an incredible gold wreath made of many very thin, tiny, delicate, and very naturalistic leaves and flowers of gold extending from thin gold wire stems attached to a circular gold band. The wreath is about 11 inches in diameter. Some of the flowers are decorated with blue and green enamel. To give you an idea of scale, this is the sort of wreath that might be worn by a person's head and not a front door. For instance, as a prize for a victory in a race. Although this one, and others like it, were ceremonial in nature and not likely to have been actually worn. The label accompanying the glossy photo in the text reads, Funerary wreath, Greece, gold with blue and green glass paste inlays, late 4th century BC. All right, so what do we learn from this? Funerary wreath, well, how do we know? What about this particular object says that it was used for a funeral? Nothing, especially since you'll also know that there is no actual site mentioned for the artifact, let alone a particular tomb, just Greece. So how do we know that this is a funerary wreath from this period in Greece? Well, we know because we have others like it from known tomb contexts and with a date of the late 4th century. While we have evidence that wreaths like these were dedicated in great numbers at temples and sanctuaries, precious metal objects are most often not found in non-tomb contexts since metals were remelted and reused. But where do the known wreaths come from? To say just Greece, that's pretty broad, right? In the 4th century, that could cover any number of very different city-states with different traditions, even in the borders of what we now call Greece. We know, and likely the Getty knew, 
that this particular kind of wreath comes out of tombs in one specific area, northern Greece, known as Macedonia in the 4th century. Why, then, does it not say Macedonia on the label? Good question. Perhaps it is purposely vague. Perhaps the Getty doesn't want to admit that it knows where this came from. And why not? Well, it was 1993 when they purchased the wreath. 23 years since 1970, when the UNESCO agreement that I mentioned on cultural property mandated that anything that came out of the ground after 1970 had to stay in that country. The U.S. didn't ratify the agreement until 1983, but that's still 10 years before this purchase. Published again in 2002 by the museum, this time the wreath is the cover image of the Handbook of the Antiquities Collection. The description now goes so far as to identify the types of flowers depicted as native to northern Greece. However, there is still no information given about where exactly the wreath came from and how it ended up at the museum. So, let's sum up the situation. One of the Getty's prized possessions is a gold wreath with no publicly announced collecting history and no fine spot where it was actually excavated. If you find this surprising, sadly, this is not a one-off. There are wreaths like this in museums and private collections around the world. In fact, in the past few years, one was auctioned by Christie's and sold for over $200,000. Another made the news when it was claimed by both a police officer and a Turkish cafe owner in Scotland. And a third turned up this past May, 2016, in a cardboard box stuffed with newspaper under a bed in a cottage in Somerset, England. This one sold at auction a month later for only 14,000 British pounds. So these objects are valuable and portable and popular. And in Greece, they come from one area in particular. With their abundance of gold and other luxury items, the wealthy tombs of Macedonia in northern Greece have been the target of looters and archaeologists for years. The evidence of the VIPs, who may or may not be interred within some of them, the father of Alexander the Great, for one, is hotly debated and demonstrates the essential importance of archaeological context. Let me give you an example. In 1977, what was hailed as the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century took place at the ancient site of Aigai, modern Vergina. This was the ancient capital of Macedon, where the palace and tombs of the royal Macedonians were located. When archaeologist Manolis Andronikos uncovered an unplundered, double-chambered 4th-century tomb full of luxury items of all kinds, not to mention the bones of two individuals wrapped in purple and gold cloths and topped with gold wreaths, he immediately claimed to have found the burial site of Philip II, father of Alexander the Great. <laughs> It was an unparalleled find, and one that made a big splash on the international scene. Since that time, archaeologists, art historians, and physical anthropologists have been studying the finds from the tomb, which give us a fascinating look into the funeral ritual of the time. Andronikos's assertion that this was in fact the tomb of Philip II has been widely debated. Two different studies of the bones have recently determined, one, that it is absolutely Philip II, and two, that it is absolutely not him. In the recent 2016 exhibit, 
the Greeks, which was held at the Field Museum in Chicago and also at the National Geographic Museum in Washington, D.C., where I saw it in September, some of the amazing finds from this tomb were displayed. Among them, greaves, that is, bronze shin guards supposedly custom designed for a certain king's legs, silver vessels, and a gilded silver diadem, worn like a headband by priests and royalty. In the exhibit, these finds were labeled as belonging to Philip II, with no mention that the attribution to Philip is in question. The exhibit curator has clearly chosen a side, which, you know, that's a good one if you want people to pay to see your stuff. Whether or not I agree with the attribution to Philip, here's the thing about this exhibit. Everything in it came from a known context. There were finds from other 4th century tombs as well, also with gold funerary wreaths, just as spectacular as the Getty wreath, but displayed with other grave goods with which they were found. So as a visitor, you could really get a sense of, of what was what and how the burial was originally laid out. So, who's buried in Philip's tomb? The fact that we can even pose this question is the most exciting thing about Vergina. Having a context to study this material in is invaluable and has allowed for the vast scholarship on the tomb and its contents, demonstrating the great knowledge that can be gained from careful excavation. But the rich nature of the finds, the possible association with famous personalities, and their well-publicized discovery also fueled the desire to find more such lavish items, and by collectors and museums to own them. That was a long aside from our main story, but context is so important to understanding ancient artifacts. I can't stress that enough. So, where did our wreath come from? Well, what we now know is that it was dug up by a farmer in northern Greece in 1990 near a town called Ceres. It was passed along to smugglers, and, as the story goes, it left the country in a watermelon. Picture it sliced in half, the watermelon, I mean, not the wreath, hollowed out with the wreath tucked inside. Then imagine the watermelon hidden on a truck filled with other regular watermelons. Oh, and as an aside, the watermelons of Greece, they're incredible. Legendarily delicious, so I highly recommend them. All right, off they go on their way to European markets. Driven over a land route through the southern Slavic countries and on to Munich. Open borders make these transfers pretty easy. It would also be impossible for authorities to check every single fruit truck for antiquities. And unlike narcotics and explosives, for instance, they can't be detected by, say, sniffing dogs. Nicholas Zerganos, a Greek investigative journalist who was largely responsible for revealing the details of this case, reports what happened next. In February 1992, the Greek leaders contacted another Greek, a painter living in Munich. They inquired about my connections in artistic circles. They told me they had something for sale and were looking for someone who might be interested. There, on the spot, they showed me photographs of what they wanted to sell. Then on another day, again in the gallery, they brought me the object itself. Conceal it in one of those boxes they give you to carry away cakes at a pastry shop. The kind that they are tied up with ribbon. They took the object out of the box and unraveled the paper it was wrapped in. And there was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. It was a Macedonian wreath made of solid gold. Solid gold. I was so impressed, so shocked, I could hardly breathe. According to the painter, he suggested that they contact the then curator of antiquities at the Getty, Marion True. 
The meeting was arranged in a Zurich bank vault, and True met two men there who said that they were representing a Swiss collector. There is some discrepancy as to what exactly happened in the vault that day and who these men actually were, but according to the LA Times, who obtained internal documents at the Getty while reporting on this case, True got spooked by the situation. She realized that the men were not who they said they were and had done tremendous damage to a great object. She continued, I hope you will find a possible buyer for it, but I'm afraid that in our case it is something that is too dangerous for us to be involved with. However, you know the end of this story, or I suppose it's the middle. Six months later, she paid $1.15 million for it. The museum's provenance report for the object indicates a Swiss dealer, Christophe Leon, as the seller, and a Swiss collector as the former owner. Switzerland is listed as the country of origin. No kidding. And apparently, according to the dealer Leon, the wreath was legally exported from its country of origin. Did he mean Switzerland? Whether or not the Getty believed this, Greece didn't. Even before the deal went through, the Minister of Culture informed the museum that the wreath had more than likely been looted and smuggled out of the country. However, the laws in the U.S. require that the burden of proof lies with the source country, as in, you need to show exactly which hole that thing came out of, which, as you can imagine, is extremely difficult to prove. There are a lot of holes in Greece. Four years later, in 1997, the same year the Getty Handbook with the wreath on the cover appeared, in fact, Greek Interpol received the information about the wreath from the German police, who had heard the story from the painter. But negotiations with the Getty went nowhere. In 2002 and 2005, the Italian art police discovered the archive of a well-known antiquities dealer named Gianfranco Bacchina, who also happens to be an olive oil magnet who reportedly once supplied the olive oil to the White House. The archive contained over 6,000 looted antiquities, and careful records of many others that had passed through his hands. Many of these records were Polaroid pictures, depicting artifacts covered in dirt, meaning they've just been dug out of the ground and not in a scientific excavation. Looters commonly send these to dealers as advertising for what they have to offer, and our smugglers had done that very thing with the wreath. Bakina must have opted not to buy it, but he retained the correspondence from the looter. As an aside, on his company's website, its owner is described thus. John Franco Bikina is the ultimate Sicilian Renaissance man in every sense of the word, an art collector and international antiquities dealer. And, fittingly enough, the logo of his olive oil company is the depiction of an owl with an olive sprig taken from ancient Athenian coinage. So, even his logo is looted. He was convicted in an Italian court in 2011 of antiquities trafficking, which he appealed unsuccessfully in 2012. At any rate, Bikina's archive had a picture of the wreath in an envelope with a return address in northern Greece. It wasn't the exact hole, but it was close enough, especially in addition to the information from the Greek painter. After 14 years, the wreath went back in seven months. The Bikina archive was released to the public in January 2015, 10 years later, and has continued to provide evidence that is required to return illicit antiquities to their legal owners. As for Bikina himself, apparently he never served time because the statute of limitations ran out. But you can visit him on his olive farm in Sicily where he rents out rooms to travelers. Upon its return to Greece, likely via airplane and not watermelon, the wreath was exhibited in the National Museum in Athens, 
and then installed in the permanent collection at the Archaeological Museum of Thessaloniki in northern Greece, where it is part of the exhibit The Gold of Macedon. Its label now reads, Gold Blossomed Myrtle Wreath, 350 to 300 BC, repatriated in March 2007 from the J. Paul Getty Museum of Los Angeles after an agreement with the Greek Ministry of Culture. It has also been published by the museum in a text entitled Gold Wreaths and Diadems, along with others in their collection. And fittingly, speaking of logos, the museum's is a gold wreath. Still, while we now know the details of its modern journey, and it is situated with other material to which it is related, we will never know what else we could have learned from its original context. As Nicholas Zerganos, the Greek journalist who worked with the Antiquities Squad for the return of the wreath, put it on this public radio international program in 2012. Then we lose very, very valuable information because we don't know this masterpiece, where it came from. We can't study in a proper way the, the, the society that created this masterpiece, the circumstances. That's it for today, but there are many more artifacts with stories to be told. Looted is back in two weeks with the next episode. Check out www.lootedpodcast.org for images related to this broadcast, as well as links to further online learning about the wreath and selected sources I used in my research. There are many excellent scholars studying these issues. This podcast is made possible with the support of the Whiting Foundation and Kenyon College. Special thanks to the University of Pennsylvania Museum, Sasha Renninger, Chris Vandergrift, and Steve Kaminsky. Original music by Noah Weinman. Check out his band, Park Strangers, on Bandcamp. Laura Johnson and Dimitrios Kiriakopoulos provided voices to quotes. Sound clip of Nicolas Zirganos by PRI International and Manolis Andronikos by YouTube. I'm going to listen to those podcasts and I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, uh, trafficking, cultural, whatnot. <laughs> <laughs>